It is marvelous to be able to tell the world of the great love that Jesus has for us. That love that is unexplainable at times because it's agapeo love, without condition. And that God loves us uh, eternally. What a blessing it is. It's good to see you here tonight, those online, those who are here in present. Let's go together to God in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for allowing us to know you. But greater, Lord God, thank you for knowing us. Thank you for giving us this day another day to live for you. Thank you, Lord God, for having mercy yet another day and compassion on a lost and dying world. Thank you, Lord God, for preparing an eternal home for your children. Thank you for Jesus, your great son who died that we might live. Help us never to forget that amazing sacrifice that has been made in our behalf. In Jesus' holy name we pray and thank you for be thy will. Amen. The two deadly peas tonight. They exist in the minds of individuals. And they're perplexing to me because on one hand, they seem good, useful, necessary. But the reality is that they're sinful and destructive when used improperly. Another thing about these two Ps is that they're very easy to justify. You can justify them so easily because it just makes sense to choose and appreciate them. It's kind of weird, right? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The first P is pride. You know, be proud of your greatness, right? You grow up, you hear that. Be proud of your greatness. Be proud of your accomplishments. We sang songs about how proud we should be and be proud that is true. Yeah, we should be proud of our accomplishments, but we've got to be careful not to do it without giving glory to God. At the same time, we've got to be careful with how we exercise or use this word, this idea, this thought of pride. Oh, and so many of us struggle. So many humans struggle with pride. Pride is interesting. Verse 9, the Bible says, But I'm the least of the apostles, whom not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. So think about Paul now. If there's anyone you say, well, there's someone that should be proud of who he is. You could say Paul. You know, he wrote 17 of the New Testament books. He was the most... Um, uh, you know, evangelistic in the scriptures, and, and, you know, he was just a, wow, a true man of God. And Paul says, no, no, don't look at me like that. I'm, I'm the least. In fact, I'm, I'm the chief of, of all the sinners. Don't look at me like that. And he goes on to say in verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, 
But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God within me. So, again, he puts it back into perspective. You know, I labored more than everyone else, but not I. It's the grace of God that's in me. Because Paul recognized, and you read all the scriptures, you read and you understand not just Paul, the writing of Paul by inspiration, but the whole Bible that tells us, you know, the only reason why we got out of bed this morning is because God allowed us to awake. Right? And so, the reason I have the strength that I have is because God has given me that strength. The reason I have the ability that I have is because God has given the ability to me. I give all the praise and glory to God. That's how we're supposed to talk. I don't know that we always do. So, high-mindedness, I'm going to Proverbs chapter 8. Haughtiness, it, it shares this, this arrogance and this, and this pride, and it means to have uh, an arrogant or an exaggerated view of yourself and your abilities. You know, when you ever been around someone that just talks about how great they are, how great they are, and how great they are, and then when it's time to perform, everyone's disappointed, right? I'm talking about just maybe, maybe you just, you know, pick up games in basketball or, or you know, in life, right? You ever done an interview and you're interviewing someone and, and they talk about all the skills and abilities they have and then when you put them to work, they don't have near the skill and ability. They kind of puff themselves up, right? And we say, no, you're supposed to because you go in your interview, you have to make sure you convince the, uh, the person who's doing, you know, hiring official, whomever he is, that you are qualified or more than qualified for the job. You've got to be really careful with that idea, that thought of pride. How about growing up? Growing up, did you feel invincible, man? <laughs> I'm invincible. Right? Nothing's going to get me. And then you get that, you have that wake-up call. Right? Pride. Listen to what the Bible says about this word, though. Proverbs 8 and verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. What's the next word? Yeah, right? To hate pride and arrogance, and that goes contrary to everything I believed. You know, I know when I was uh, in the, you know, the world of, uh, you know, athleticism and things of that sort, you, you don't get into the ring or go on the, on the football field or wherever if you don't think you can win. I mean, you have to go in there and believe in yourself that you are better than the opponent, right? You've got to have what? Pride. You've got to, but God says, no, I, I want you to learn to hate evil, to hate pride, arrogance, and the evil way, and the perverted mouth, God says, I hate. So it's hard when you think about it now, when you start studying the word pride and thinking about it, how do you juggle that? How do you use that word in a, in a way that brings glory and honor to God to where God doesn't hate it? How do you bring that attitude into the Lord's church? We can't bring it into the Lord's church, right? We all have to be humble, don't we? Pride has killed a lot of people spiritually. Pride. We have to learn to be humble and to hate arrogancy, the puffed up, the proud. Because pride, turn to chapter 11, please. Pride goes before two things. Number one, Verse 11 and verse 2, the Bible says that when pride comes, then comes 
dishonor, right? Because the humbling is going to come. It's going to come. And when, it, when, when you are humbled by God, there's this idea, this understanding that you will feel dishonored. You're going to fall. And when you fall, great will be the fall. Right? Pride comes before dishonor. But with the humble is wisdom. So the, the wise know there's always someone better than you. And, and maybe I'm good at what I do, thank God. But I'm only good at what I do because God has given me this ability. And so I give all the praise and honor, honor and glory to God. But I'm very thankful that I am doing what I'm doing. You know, so we have the attitude of humility because we don't want to find ourselves in dishonor. But rather, really, the real reason we find ourselves being humble is because we learn how to hate pride. Proverbs 18, 16 rather, in verse 18. The second thing is pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. And so, just, you know, how many times have you seen it where, where the, the proud and the arrogant fall? How many times have you seen it? And it's a big fall, too. And sometimes it destroys them. It destroys them. It brings them so low to where they just really just don't have the ability to bounce back. Well, don't put yourself in that position. Stay humble. Look at chapter 29. Be humble. Be like Jesus. I mean, you want to see pride in action? You know, what if Jesus came in as Jesus? <laughs> he would have come in splendor and glory, and he would have been above everyone else, and it would not have been prideful. It would have been the truth and the reality, but everyone would have disliked him because he would have thought he was better than everyone else. Well, he was better than everyone else. Oh, you think you're better than me? Well, he is better than me. Yeah, but the attitude, people don't like the attitude when people think they're better than you, Right? Nobody likes that kind of attitude. And somewhere in our minds and our hearts, um, that attitude became acceptable. But that became more of a bully attitude, right? Proverbs 29 and verse 23. The Bible says, A man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. And you know what's scary about this idea of pride, too? When you get into the, the, new, the uh, book of Job, uh, God talks about pride. And you know, he talks about what he made. You want to be proud of something? Look at what I made. He talks about the Leviathan and how big it is. And he goes, you'll touch him once, but you'll never do it again. You know, and he says, that right there. And he says, you, that's, that's what pride, that thing could be proud if it wanted to be. But even, even then, God says, you've got to be humble. In our spiritual race with Jesus, um, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Think for just a moment about when I live my life as if as if I'm better than God we don't say it but there's a lot of folks that act like they are and let me tell you something God makes it clear that when Satan gets a hold of us we're not going to be able to stand against him right verse 12 says uh, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall never say never you ever heard that before Never, there are preachers that I know of that I, you would say, and, and I would, would have said, they would, they'll never fall from the Lord. No, these men are strong and faithful and resilient. And they fail. And great was their fall. Never say never. See, Satan comes in a way you just don't expect him to. That's why he's crafty. 
In fact, I think Genesis 3 says he's the most crafty beast of the field. So God says, look, don't, don't think you stand. Because if you do, watch out because you're going to fall. And then God puts it in perspective. The only reason that we're standing today against the schemes of Satan is because we're trusting in God to remove the obstacles and to give us the strength that we need. So verse 13 puts it all in perspective. And it says there, For let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful. And notice the idea, it's common. You know, I thought, oh, I thought, I overcame this, so look at how strong I am. No, that's just a common thing. Right? It, it wasn't like you, you, you climbed the... No, it, it, it's just common. This is common stuff. But God is and has always been faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation provide the way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. Thank you, God, for giving us not only a way out, right, but for just giving us a way. But even if God gives us the way, if I'm too proud, I'll never look for the way. I'll close my eyes in my faith and believe I'm better, and I can, I can do this on my own. Maybe I begin to live my life with less prayer than I need. Turn to Luke chapter 18. If we think that we can live, uh, live this Christian life or walk this Christian walk without Jesus, you're going to fall. Just get ready for it. It's an absolute impossibility. Some, some esteem them, themselves, if you will, too highly. And, and you know, when you, when you live that way and you see God uh, maybe as unnecessary... And one believes that they have their life under control. If, you know, why would I need God if everything's under control? So the Pharisee and the publican, he also said, verse 9, he also told this parable. Certain ones who trusted in themselves, they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Wasn't that the problem with the Pharisees? They were just too good. Right? They were the worst religious people. I don't even use the word religious. They were they were some of the worst people you'd ever meet. And you know what they you know what they hid behind? They hid behind religion. Right? They acted horribly, worse than the world, but they hid behind religion. And you know what they viewed they viewed other people with contempt. And they were like you know kind of high and mighty. Look at me, look at me. Right? Sickening, isn't it? Sickening. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax gatherer. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week. I pray tithes of all that I get. You know when I first read that, I was like, I don't see what's wrong with the prayer. You know, he was just, in my mind, I thought, well, he's just 
thanking God that he made the transition and he, he turned from his wicked ways and now he's living for God and doing the right thing and, and what's wrong with the prayer? The attitude, right? The attitude is what's wrong with the prayer. Thank God that he's doing the things that he ought to do. But it's his attitude about what he's doing. The fact that he was looking down on everyone else. The fact that he had arrived in his own mind. The fact that he had done this without God. It was the attitude. Look at me, God. I'm glad I'm not like this guy. This guy, you know, these guys are swindlers. And I mean, they do all kinds of evil. I don't do that kind of stuff. Watch your attitude. Right? Watch the attitude. God instead wants us to pray like this. Verse 13, But the tax gatherer standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. You see, the difference is one of them said, Oh God, look at me. And the other one said, Oh God, please don't look at me. You know that song? I, I, it kind of reminds me, and I'm not, I'm not judging the song, but it's a great song. Let me just say that. But I think about it when I sing it. Listen to my heart. Hear my spirit. It's a great song. But do you really want God to listen to your heart? Because now we get down to motive for the reason you did stuff. Different things. Did I do it for the right reason? Not really. I did it to be seen by other men. Do you really want God to listen to your to your heart. When you sing this song, you ought to really think about it and be reflective about, God, listen to my heart. Well, then make sure your heart's right first, right? Is my heart right? Am I saying, look at me, everybody, or am I saying, hey, guys, don't look at me, right? Look at Jesus. What did Paul say? Follow me as I follow Christ. I tell you, verse 14, This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humble, but he who humbles himself shall be justified. And so it's easy in this, with this word of pride, it's easy to say, well, no, I I wasn't, I was just proud of, I, it's the I instead of giving God the glory. But how do you juggle that? Because I did do it, right? But we got to really think about this word, this thought of pride. Pride, the idea really is to have an exaggerated view of yourself. That's really an idea. That's one way we can view it. Make sure you never have an exaggerated view of yourself or your position or your whatever it is you might be. God calls us to humility, right? What did God say? That the greatest is what? Servant of all. How about that? What did God say about that? He was given much, much is required. There's always this opposite, right? There's always this, if God does all this for you, God's got more stuff for you to do than for the one he didn't give as much to do. In other words, what God is saying to us, when he says, I gave you a lot of money, but now I expect you to use more of your money to help those in need, right? Whenever he gives us something to make us, if you want to call it great or whatever it may be, there's a higher expectation upon you in your service to the Lord Jesus Christ. When working with people, here's what you ought to try to do. And I say this humbly. Try to walk in their shoes first. Right? It's tough. 
Try to walk in each man's shoes before you communicate with them. If you're doing counseling, trying to help someone out. If you walk, try to put yourself in their shoes first. You know what I find far too often? I've done the same thing if I were in their shoes. You ever felt that way about yourself? You ever recognize that in reality, in reality, God has rescued us. Thank you, God. But if you were in their shoes, their mom, their dad, their level of poverty or, or riches or whatever it may be, uh, their, their exact situation, their mindset, etc., you've done the same thing they've done. In other words, none of us are better than the other. But some of us have humbled ourselves to allow God to take over. So what is pride? It's, it's to, be, to be puffed up. It's like, it's like smoke that, that disappears. The idea, the understanding that when, when you die, it won't take long before folks forget about you. You need to remember that, right? When you die, they'll say, say your name every now and then, but life just goes on. Life just goes on, right? It really does. And I, and I know the closer to the individual that passed, the, the, the fonder the memory and the longer the memory, but life just, life just goes on. Death is the great equalizer, isn't it? All with the old and with the new. Life just goes on. And here's something we know. That pride, it vanishes away with you. Right? I mean, the, the more arrogant you are, the quicker people are going to forget you. They'll be glad you're gone. Sad, isn't it? It's all in the scriptures, though. It's all in the scriptures. First John chapter 2. And then God tells us where pride comes from. It does not come from God. You see, Adam and Eve, the idea of the, you know, the Garden of Eden and what was going on there, it was pride, wasn't it? I mean, it was all. It was pride of the pride of, uh, of the, the mind. It was the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. But it was, it was all three of those. She wanted to be like God. It doesn't say Adam didn't, but she wanted to be like God. She wanted to know a word that she didn't know what it meant. Evil. Well, what does that word mean? I want to know what that word means. I want to have that. Good and evil. And God says to us in verse 15, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. It is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also it's lust because, excuse me, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. It's all fading away. Romans 12 and verse 3. It's what's in the world. Pride is a worldly mindset that's sometimes hard to shake. We all grew up Striving to live life in such a way to where we can be proud of ourselves. And proud of our accomplishments in life. In verse 3. For though the, through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So, that's the first P. The second one is just as bad. First Corinthians chapter 1. Seems so necessary. You can justify, we can justify pride all day long. It just seems so necessary. Got to be proud of myself. 
Yeah. Right? So you got to juggle that. Please juggle that. Study that. Study it out. And allow God to bring you, bring you to the right mindset to not be puffed up, but rather to be humble. The second one is partiality. Well, it seems unnecessary, doesn't it? You know, here these folks over here are closer to me than those folks, and therefore I'm going to do more for these folks than I'll do for... And then, it, you know, and all that comes into the church. The church community will die where there's partiality. The church community equally includes everyone. That's what God has given us. That's what God has commanded of us. We're not to be divided as a church community. Right? Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no division among you, but you may complete in the same mind and the same judgment. And someone basically told me, without echoing the words, you might as well just throw that verse out, because we can never all agree. Well, why is it in the Bible if we can't ever do it? Why would God tell us to do it if we can't do it? You know, you know what the problem with that one is? Pride. Pride says we can never do it because we're not all willing to humble ourselves. We can do it. We just don't choose to. To be of one mind moving in the same direction. Acts chapter 6 demonstrates to us that the early church suffered, if you will, from partiality and almost suffered its first split because of partiality. In verse 1, it says, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Now, now, now maybe they were being overlooked because of partiality, or, or maybe they were just being simply overlooked in ignorance. And it was an accident. But it seemed to be a really big issue, so it probably wasn't an accident. And they had, to, they had to do something about it. And the answer was, find godly men, spiritual men, to help resolve this problem. And godly men and spiritual men will also be willing to serve. In verse 3, it says, But select from among you, brethren, seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. Godly men. Let let us pray. Turn to James 2, please. Let us pray that we never lose godly men in the body of Christ. That's the answer to solve some of the problems that we may find in the Lord's church. So here's how James addresses Partiality, Something maybe we've seen in our lifetime. Maybe we participated in this. Verse 1. My brethren, do not hold yourself, your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes a poor man in with dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place and you say to the poor man, you stand over there and sit down by my footstool. What an arrogant attitude. Who, who would, who would, wait, how would we treat the homeless if they came in here? Who would sit next to them? They probably smell. Right? They're tired. They probably don't look the par or the part. 
How would we? And then how would we treat a rich man if he came in? What do you think? This isn't new. And it's not going to go away probably if God's people don't change their attitudes. We, right? Verse 4 says, Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Verse 8, If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. You see, so there's a long way that we have to, that we have to climb, if you will, to get out of this hole of partiality. First Timothy chapter 5. And you know, you know, America has a horrible history, doesn't it? You know, I guess so does the rest of the world. The answer is, we need all of us. We need Jesus. I mean, that's the answer to everything, right? It doesn't matter where you grow up. You grow up in America, you grow up in uh, Africa, you grow up in Europe, or wherever it is you grow up in China. It doesn't matter. Everybody needs Jesus. We all suffer from this on one level or another. All of us need Jesus. And the humble say, yes, we do. And in 1 Timothy 5, in verse, verse 21, the, the Bible says there, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and his chosen angels to maintain these principles. So you got to go back and read the rest. Without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. And then back to Proverbs, and I'll be ready to let you go. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 21. It's just not good to show partiality. 21 says, to show partiality is not good. It couldn't be any simpler than that, any plainer than that, right? To show partiality is not good because for a piece of bread, a man will transgress. You've seen that, haven't you? You've seen that. You know when you, when you, you bring someone in and you're, and you're kind and gentle to them and, and generous, and then, you know, especially young folks, right? Young folks, and you, and, and, and it happens to the older folks. We grow up and we never, we never get out of this mindset for some reason. You bring them in and you, and you help them and you introduce them to people and you're kind and gentle and generous, and then when they get some friends, then all of a sudden they don't want to talk to you anymore. It's kind of childish, but you know, right? Just don't show partiality. And it's God's people. Galatians chapter 2, please. God's people, as God's children, as God's faithful people, got to set an example. Galatians 2 and the verse is 6. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. See, Paul struggled with that. You know, he was trying to do God's work. And... And there were some folks who were trying to stop him. But Paul didn't care about your status in life. And what difference does that make? Right? Because the way Paul lived his life and viewed his life was in this. He says, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Be like God is what we got to get from this. God does not show partiality. Well, those who were a reputation contributed nothing to me. Doesn't the Bible say that? <laughs> you know, those who pretend to be great, they don't help anyone. 
usually. They just try to take all the credit for everything. God doesn't show partiality. Neither should we. Be like Jesus. Be like God. Every person in the whole world, every member in the entire church is equally important to the other. Tonight, if you're not a child of God, we encourage you to surrender to Christ in the waters of baptism for today is a great day because today is the day of salvation. To surrender to God in the waters of baptism that God may wash your sins away, granting you the gift of the Holy Spirit and adding you to His church. If you're struggling in your faith, then we can pray with you, pray for you. If there is anything that we can do, please make it known. While together we stand and sing our song of invitation.